Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right, we are back with another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today we have Will Matheson with us from Matheson Capital. Will is an expert in multifamily and student housing out there in the Carolinas in the Southeast. He's actually from my favorite city outside of Seattle, Charleston, South Carolina. So I am super excited to dive into this. Will, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I uh, told you before we got on here, we like to start with stories. So take us to the beginning of your story. How'd you get started in real estate? So real estate for me and my twin brother, who I run Maths and Capital with, it is truly a family business. My mom was in residential real estate. She sold lots for the developers uh, in Aiken, South Carolina. So I remember a lot as a child, literally walking through empty houses that were being constructed, figuring out you know, what room is what, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, before her, her dad was in real estate, he was at CBRE up in Canada. My uncle, my aunts, I've got plenty of family in the real estate business up in the Toronto area. So I got a lot of exposure to it. And um, that's, you know, Evan and I said, hey, this is something we understand. This is something we want to do. So that's how we got, that's the background on how we got started. Outside of, out, after leaving undergrad, we both got jobs at Marcus and Millichap. Retail brokers did that for a few years, went to Columbia University for their master's in real estate development program, graduated May 2018, but we bought our first deal in January 2018, sold it two months later. So that was how it started. Right on. Yeah, I'm always a little jealous of people who kind of grew up in real estate because, um, you know, being around the environment, uh, having like your mom, your uncle, your dad, all that stuff. Kind of learning through osmosis, I'm sure that was uh, that was a good impetus for you to get into the field. Um, so, what you went to, uh, um, you went and got your master's. Um, one thing that I'm always curious about: people who got formal education in real estate, do you feel that that really did that really help you in your career? It sounds like you you did your first deal before you you finished your education. So, um, do you feel like that was a, a good stepping stone that people should be taking, or do you feel like you didn't need that? It's some, you know, you can learn on the job. Um, what's your thoughts on the formal education route? You know, I, I think it really depends on what you want to do in it. You know, if if you want to build up a portfolio of single family homes for yourself um, or smaller stuff like that, primarily invest your own money. I, I'm not sure it's something that I would necessarily recommend, but. Evan and I, you know, coming out of brokerage, we really wanted to be in more of a private equity line of business, work with a lot of other people's money, scale it. Like we we really wanted scale. So we thought going for the master's program would be it would open a lot of doors, it would build a great network, we'd get a lot more of a formal education in it. But I mean, look, at the end of the day, you still you still take a lot of knocks in your first few deals. Uh being an owner for the first time. But, you know, like I said, you see other groups out there, like I think S2 Capital comes to mind, Scott Everett. Um, I've heard him talk. I, I don't know that he went to college and he's been tremendously successful. So, yeah. you know, to each his own. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I always thought that it's kind of funny. Um, you know, if real estate was a was an undergrad degree, I probably well, no, at the time I didn't even know about real estate, so I wouldn't have gone for it. But it would have been cool to have been able to take that as a as a degree. But um anyways, uh let's go back to your story. You said you closed your first deal before you actually graduated. So what was that first deal? So the first deal uh, was brought to us by a classmate of ours in the program. He was originally from Los Angeles. I don't think I'd, I'd only been there once in my life. But it was just a duplex, $800,000. Um, it had been an expired listing. He's, he brought it and said, hey, look, I think this is a real opportunity, something you know we could get in and out of pretty quickly. So he brought that to us. Uh, Evan and I had done a deal so to speak, uh, previously, we'd loaned a million dollars on a property back when we were brokers in 2015, 2016, just raised some money, friends and family, uh, put a hard money loan down. So we thought 800000 we can raise that money. So we bought it January 2018. It sold in March 2018 for 985000 There you go. An easy 150 <laughs> Did you guys do uh, any rehab to it or was it just a um, kind of like a double listing? No, it's, you know, it's funny in California because of how the laws out there work and how, you know, tenant friendly or hostile landlords, however you want to phrase it. I don't know how the mechanics work. It's been so long, but we just asked the property to be delivered to us with no tenants. Um, the seller somehow obliged and uh, it was instantly worth more just because no one was in there. Mm, we yeah, really didn't do sense. anything. It was just yeah. arbitrage. Right. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, huh, that's interesting. Um, so let's talk about what you guys did afterwards. You started with that duplex, uh, the smallest version of a multifamily property. And, uh, then you got into multifamily. How did you take that next step? Um, when did you get into the, you know, the true commercial side, you know, 10 plus units? Yeah. So the next, I, I can literally rattle these off, you know, May, 2018, we bought a six unit deal that ends up selling in October, 2019, we buy another six-unit deal. This is our first North Carolina acquisition in January 2019. We buy a 15-unit deal. February 2019, 24 units in December. Turn the page to 2020 and 32 units, 32 units. We got into some bigger stuff in 21. We've kind of kept the wheel rolling. So as of when we started buying our first bigger deals, um, you know, it it was always sizing up. The first one north of 10 units was February 2019, about 13 months after we got started. Quick little, yeah, small little deal. Got in and out of there in about 21 months, 23 months. Cool. And uh, what is your guys' strategy when you go into these? Are you, it sounds like you're going for the flip. So you're doing the renovation and then you're selling, you know, within three years. Do you keep any for your portfolio What's or what's your general strategy going into it? So our strategy has changed. When we started out in 2018, like I said, that first acquisition, we were 25 years old when we did it. Um, we were really adamant that, you know, we're not going to be the group that raises $20 million from investors on one deal. Like there's someone else out there more experienced. You're not going to commit to us for a 10-year hold. So our value proposition to investors, you know, we would essentially say, hey, look, we're going to buy, we're going to do a pretty heavy value add, and we're going to be in and out of two years. And that was the theme of pretty much all of our acquisitions for 2018 through the first half of 2021 was just, we're going to get in, we're going to get out, sell the assets, 
our, our pitch to investors was, I want you to date us. I don't want you to marry us. Let us prove that we know what we're doing. You know, when we get into longer term hold stuff, you can do that. So, you know, we were always pretty short term holders. We've refinanced one property that we bought in 2019 because it's a pretty simple investor pool um, in the sense that there's not a lot of people involved and they liked it. We refinanced at 2.8%. Pretty happy. 2.8%. Are you kidding? That is insane. Yeah, it's pretty great. I'm not going to lie. Um, not going to lie. Um, but yeah, but now, you know, now when we're buying stuff, we're routinely like, hey, this is five years hold, five year hold. This is a three year hold, stuff like that. You know, we can look longer term because in our eyes and in investors' eyes, we have a track record. We know what we're doing. We're not as much of an unknown. Yeah, that makes sense. And has your guys's, I mean, you know, 2018, 2017, 2.8% interest, that is fantastic, but that is, uh, that's a thing of the past. Um, how has your strategy changed? You know, we're looking at the 7, 8% interest rates now. Um, how has your strategy changed going into 2023, 2024? Well, I want to, you know, we're, we're actually very fortunate. We sold most of our portfolio from Q1. Or 21 to Q2, or sorry, to Q1 22. So during that six month period, right at the end of the low rate environment or before they really started hiking, we sold pretty much everything we had. None of the deals that we're the sponsor of, or not, nowhere were the lead sponsor, do we have floating rate debt. So we've been fixed across the board. So our investors are very happy. We don't have anything hanging over our heads um, that's just a ticking, you know, ticking time bomb, so to speak. So we're pretty opportunistic at this point. I've seen multiple assets now where, you know, they're selling for less than they were bought for. I've seen multiple properties that are worth less than the debt. Um, and, you know, we feel like obviously financing is tough right now, but a lot of people aren't in the market. If you can make a deal work with today's financing, if you can make a deal work with in today's environment period, as soon as liquidity increases again, as soon as, you know, we have any economic downtimes and they start cutting rates, I think you're going to have a really strong asset. So we're looking to buy right now. Nice. And has your, in your marketing, well, first actually, how do you, how do you guys get in contact with sellers? Do you network with brokers? Do you do your own off market uh, marketing? How do you guys do that? I'm a huge advocate of working through brokers and not just because I used to be one. Um, Honestly, we we pretty much use brokers. I think we've used brokers on every single transaction. I think there was some statistic on the first 13 deals we did. We didn't work with the same broker twice. So oh, wow. we have a pretty good network. You know, we've worked with a lot of different people. Um, but yeah, I, I'm personally not the biggest advocate of reaching out directly to sellers. As a former broker, I got told no a lot. It's just... At least if I'm talking to a broker, I can be reasonably sure the seller is motivated. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we do off-market uh, marketing. And yeah, you get told you get told no quite a bit, but um, you also get pretty good deals. So I, uh, I totally understand going through the broker route, though, because, you know, that's where they're doing the work. They're out there paying on the pavement. And uh, so that's where most of the deals are. Do you guys have a strategy to go out there, make broker relationships? Um, like, how do you go about and uh, create those relationships and make sure that they're moving forward, make sure that they understand that you're in the market looking to buy? I mean, you know, there's there's a few ways to boil that down. I mean, you know, the most important thing you have to do is perform. 
I tell people when they're starting out all the time, you should start with smaller properties. It's the least efficient part of the market. And it also gives you a track record. I'm, I'm always amazed by people who can go out there and buy a $20 million deal on their first go. Like that's their first acquisition. <laughs> like we, as you know, as I said, we started really small. And the reason for that is, you know, we'd, we'd prove that we could do it and we'd size up to a, the next deal would be bigger and the next deal would be bigger and the next deal would be bigger. And brokers would see that and, you know, Broker who normally lists $20 million deal, they'll end up with a $6 million deal. And not a ton of people want that, but we did. And it'll be worth eight when we're done with it. And more buyers will be in that market. So you got to perform. Um, it always helps to build a track record. But this I always tell people. You have to be interesting to talk to. Um, I mean, I if, if you're talking to a broker who you've never done a deal with or they're out of market and you just call them and say, hey, do you have anything to look at? What's new? You're just one of a hundred faceless calls they're getting every single week. You yeah. gotta you gotta give them something enjoyable to listen to. Otherwise, like, what's the, they're not picking up the call. <laughs> Start with a joke, right? Uh, yeah, and I always like to, if I'm going on a DD trip, um, find a couple of brokers in the area that I can go out and, you know, grab a drink with, buy some coffee for, um, where, whenever you're in a new area, especially in a place that you want to buy is just connect with those brokers. Cause they do, they hold the keys to a lot of good deals. So, um, awesome, man. Love to hear that. So you already went over this a little bit, but, uh, give us a, uh, kind of a wrap up. What is your guys' strategy moving forward? Um, and how do you see the next couple of years playing out? I mean, our, you know, like I said, our strategy, we're buyers, we've bought stabilized, we've bought value add. I mean, we've bought everything from 60s construction to 2018, 2021 new construction stuff. So we're really, we think we can handle all of those different aspects. It just depends on what we think makes sense for investors. Uh, our outlook, you know, I, I do... I think the distress is coming. Obviously, uh, people have tried to extend and pretend for a long time. And like I said, I've seen multiple properties selling for less than the debt or valued at less than the debt at this point. So we think there will be opportunity. But I do think I do think rates will go down sometime in 2024, definitely by 2025, if not for the simple fact that, you know, the last time rates were this high was 2000, what, 2007. The national debt was ten trillion, and now the national debt just hit thirty-three, and we have to pay for that. So there's huge incentive for the the Fed to cut rates at some point because it's uh, it's expensive. I did not know it's uh, more than doubled since two thousand seven. That's kind of crazy. Oh, it's more than tripled. <laughs> I just put my head in the sand when it comes to uh, to the national debt. Um, right on, man. Well, I love your story. Uh, it is time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. It all starts with education. So give me two recommendations, one for general life wisdom and then one for real estate specific. It can be a book. It can be a YouTube channel, whatever. Just give me two recommendations. Uh, I mean, just I'm going to give you a general business. Uh, all right. Life recommendation. Let's go with Atomic Habits. Um, yeah. I just think that's a fun book. Everyone, yeah. everyone likes it, you know, Um for book, I'm going to go business a little more broadly than real estate. Real estate is covered in here, I believe. It's a book called Letters of a Businessman to His Son by G. Kingsley Ward. Uh, not the most popular book. I don't want to tell you Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm sure you've heard yeah. that 20 <laughs> times. But really a really big fan of that book. There's one chapter I always reference where a guy goes up to a bank, 
tries to get a loan for some business and the bank says no, he's all mad. The guy just explains to him, well, look, you know, the bank wants to do the deal, but they look at this stuff all the time. We're probably doing you a favor, which is hard for us borrowers to hear. But, you know, if a bank won't give you money, you might want to reconsider what you're doing. Yeah, it might be a bad deal. Um, interesting. I actually, that is the first time that's been recommended. I just, uh, just picked it up, looked at it on, uh, on Amazon. Yeah, there you go. Maybe something I'm going to have to pick up. There you go. Well, right. I have a soft spot for the book because it was gifted to me by the, the sun and the title. So, oh, there you go. Personal connection. I love it. All right. Next question is for your younger self. So let's go back to the will who was, uh, you know, just walking through those properties with his mom. Go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Uh, start small. Mm. I mean, really, I mean, I, I said that we did this, but I, I cannot emphasize this enough to people getting in the industry. Start with smaller properties. The loans are easier to get in some ways. There's less equity to raise. The market is typically less efficient. Like that's where can you add the most value there? If you get north of 200 units, 90s, 2000s build, it really becomes like a commodity in some ways. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Not many people suggest starting small, but I guess when you say small, you mean under you know under 50 units, um, which to a lot of people is still a pretty big deal. So, uh, well, I mean, I don't even mean under 50. Units. I mean, buy a duplex, buy a quadruplex, but buy something where you're actually like doing something. Like, don't don't look around for two twenty million dollar deals for you know years. It's, it's hard. Just buy something, even if it's small. Yeah, get something done. I like that piece of advice. All right, next question is for your business. Um, it all starts with the people that we work with. So, what are the three positions you hired for, and would you do it differently if you did it again today? So, the three positions we've hired for: we've hired someone for asset management because as your portfolio grows, as your investors. You know, become more sophisticated. You want to make sure you're delivering a good product to them, and not only the per- property's performance, but also your presentation. How on top of it are you? Uh, analyst acquisitions type of role. Uh, you got to make sure you can look at every opportunity that comes in. If you don't have that, you hit a bottleneck. You can't look at everything that comes in. And uh, this one's cheating, but I'm going to say. Having a partner to begin with, um, I didn't hire my twin brother, but I wouldn't be doing this without him. It's really, it's really tough to go it by yourself when you're only bouncing ideas off of people who are kind of tangentially involved. But you know, having having a partner from the get go, there's always someone in your foxhole. There's always someone as invested in, in the business as you. Yeah. Now, I uh, surprisingly, you are the I think one of the first ones to say that, but I think it is great advice um, to just have somebody there. It's amazing, like when you when you're doing the thing especially when it's entrepreneurial you know there's it, you're almost in an echo chamber where you're talking to yourself you're doing deals um but if you have somebody there next to you and you can bounce ideas off of them it really grounds you it make, gives you motivation to move forward so love that piece of advice um next question is about the US it's a big place a lot of opportunity out there give me the single metro you're most excited about investing in today oh tough question uh I mean, probably the Charleston or Charleston or Charlotte, one of those two. Just really love the growth story. People are going to keep on moving there. I, Charlotte, I almost want to give a bit of an edge just because of insurance costs on the coast. But oh yeah, flood flood insurance. Yeah, yeah, just uh, it's rough. Uh, yeah, Charlotte is 
um, we actually market there for single family properties. And I have found that the owners in the Charlotte market um, generally want more than the list price because they realize they're in a market that is so, you know, so hot. It's just growing like crazy. It's a, uh, it's a good one. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Uh, next question is about your strengths. We are all given gifts that we uniquely provide this world. So what is your Superman strength? I have, oh man, I should have had a better answer for that one. Yeah, I like to think I'm pretty disciplined. I went like nine years without eating candy for some random reason that I just decided <laughs> one day. Uh, you know, if you don't have self-discipline, it's hard to have a lot of other strengths. Yeah, no, I agree. It all starts with discipline. Um, and the second last question is about a lesson learned through a deal gone bad or just a deal gone sideways. Um, you know, it doesn't always go the way that we want. And in those moments of difficulty and those, uh, those obstacles that come in our way, that is where we get the biz- biggest lessons. So what was a lesson learned through a deal gone bad? Uh, I learned a lot of lessons from the most difficult deal we've had a property called Greenwood village. Um, we returned all our investors capital. I was thrilled, but we had a yield maintenance prepayment in there, which is the only time we've done that. Not a fan. It was a rougher area of town with no payroll on site because, again, we're starting small. So, you know, no payroll in a rougher area. A lot of problems pop up. Those were two lessons. Avoid yield maintenance. And we've been flexible in pretty much all of our other debt. And um, if you can get staff a property in a rough area, that's, that's a lot of red flags. Yeah, I, uh, I've run into the, the rough area issue myself, and uh, that's definitely something that I'm not going to be doing in the future. Um, for everybody listening, explain what yield maintenance is. Oh, yield maintenance is a form of prepayment on the debt. Like Typically, they securitize it into a bond. They sell the bond to investors. So if you want to pay off the debt, you essentially have to pay all of the interest owed for the remaining life of the loan. Um less what you could buy a comparable treasury for it's like a penalty yeah it's a very very expensive it's not like a five four three two one step down unless you have a really low interest rate then you're probably fine there you go it's not fun is the answer yeah something you don't want All right. uh, Last question. And this one is for the listeners. You've given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you. Tell people where they can find you and uh, what they can can expect when they reach out. So you can contact us through our website, mathcap.com, short for maths and capital, M-A-T-H-C-A-P. If you fill out a form, every time someone joins our list, signs up for our newsletter, we reach out to them. We like to make contact, you know, see how we can work with anyone who wants to see what we do you can also reach out to me on linkedin uh will matheson on linkedin will matheson at matheson capital i'm pretty pretty active on there people get to enjoy my rants about interest rates there you go that is a math cap m-a-t-h-c-a-p.com i will put that link in the show notes so if y'all want to reach out just click the little more in the description it'll pull down that full description in there you can find will's link all right man that wraps it up thank you very much for hopping on the show Thank you for having me. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe at the Real Estate Investing Club.com. And if you guys want to support the show, all we ask is give us a like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. 
Other than that, hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.